control. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. We have been looking over these past weeks at the Gospel of Luke. And Luke gives us, there's five threads in a tapestry of truth that Luke shares with us. And we could, you can go back and you can read through the Gospel of Luke. I encourage you to do that. Do it several times. Read it over. It's not a long read. But these five threads, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the virtuous life of Jesus Christ, his vicarious death that he died in our place. Last week we saw his victorious resurrection. All of these are, are founded on the testimony of eyewitnesses. All of these are valid accounts that are given of true historical events that took place. Our faith is rooted in what Jesus had to say. But if we only had the words of Jesus without the events of his life and death and resurrection, his words would simply be no more than any other philosopher or any other wise man that has ever lived. We could pick and choose what we wanted to from his teaching. Interestingly, some people do that anyway. They pick and choose. I like what Jesus said about this. Well, I don't like what he said about this, so I'm going to ignore that. None of y'all today, here today do that, I know, but there's other people. Just to let you know, there's other people who do that. Uh, but we understand that it's more than what Jesus taught. It's what Jesus did. It's what happened in his life that makes what he said of utmost importance. So that when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except by me, we understand that he says that as God. He is divine. He is the Son of God. He is God. And there's no one else on this world that has ever been like Jesus Christ. He is unique. He is special. What's so special about Jesus? We come to Acts chapter 1, and again, this is Luke's continuation of his gospel into the, into the book of Acts. And I want you to see this morning that what is special about Jesus that is unlike any others, that is founded in the eyewitness accounts of those that were there, is his promise of his return. And it will be an event of which there will be many eyewitnesses. In fact, the Bible says that when he comes back, every eye will see him. Some years ago, I heard a fellow say, he said, I've got the explanation for that. He said, they've never been able to understand how everybody on earth was going to be able to see Jesus when he came back in all his glory. But he said, they're going to be able to see him on satellite news. I want you to know the glory of God and the glory of Christ when he returns is going to be so great and powerful. You won't need a television set to watch it. In fact, I suspect it'll probably blow all the satellites out of orbit when he comes back. People try to explain what's going to happen. Well, I want you to know that when Jesus comes back, every eye is going to see him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As we look at this truth this morning, I want you to follow with me as I read from verse 4 in Acts chapter 1. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, saith he, which you have heard of me. You'll remember that Jesus had shared this promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? I will send you another comforter. If I go not away, he said, it is expedient for you, it is necessary, it is essential for me to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. That's the promise of the Father. And he said, you heard that promise of me. So he said, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for that promise of the Father, 
For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. The visible return of Jesus Christ. This is referred to, as part of this is referred to in Scripture, as the blessed hope of the church. Now, we understand that there are two aspects, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But this is the wonderful promise that we have, that Jesus is going to return in like manner as they saw him go. This is the promise that Jesus gave. This is the promise assured and affirmed by these angels, and it is affirmed throughout the New Testament by every New Testament writer that Christ is coming back. That's the promise that we have. That's the assurance that we have. And Luke speaks from the eyewitness accounts of these apostles, these disciples that were there, to see him ascend into heaven. Eleven disciples and perhaps some others, but at least the eleven that were there to see this take place. This is a part of the eyewitness account that they were to tell of. The disciples were, the, the apostles were to be those that had been there from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry all the way to the end of his ministry so that they could give that testimony, that account, that message. They were, they were dispatched messengers, apostles. They were delegated messengers to go and carry the message that Jesus had given them in this truth that Christ is going to return I want you to see two simple truths this morning that I hope will be a blessing to you. All of this, these five elements that we have looked at, these five threads in a tapestry of truth, the, the birth of Christ, the, the perfect life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, and then His return. These are not just to fill our minds with more knowledge. There is a practical element to every single one of these, that these truths ought to shape how we live practically our everyday Christian life. The, the message of God, the Word of God, is never just for information's sake. It is for transformation's sake. It is to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, into the likeness of Christ, as Romans 8 said, we saw it just this morning, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. God is making us into Christ. So these truths, this, this truth that we will see this morning should not just fill our minds, it should fill our hearts and it should transform our lives. It is so important for us to worship God with Love God with all of our hearts, but also all of our minds. Our minds receive the truth and our hearts respond to the truth. And it's not an either or, it's a both and. So I want you to see two things this morning. Luke shares this truth, divinely inspired, shares this truth with us, first of all, 
for our faith in Christ's return. Our faith, this is the assurance that we have. This is the promise that we have, that Jesus Christ is coming back. Now, it's very interesting that the Bible shares some simple truths with us. We believe and understand from Scripture that we are in what is called the church age, the day of grace, the dispensation of grace. And we are under the message of the gospel. God is always saved by faith in Him and faith in either the sacrifice that was to come, the sacrifice that had come. But we live in a day of grace when God acts toward His people. At times, He has acted toward His people with a covenant of law. He's acted toward them with human government and conscience and others. And one day there will be a, a, one final stage that we will go through. But right now, we are in that church age. But there will come a time when that day of grace will come to an end. For the church, it's called the rapture of the church. It is a snatching away of God's people from this earth. The Bible says that we will hear the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. This morning, following the 8 o'clock service, I just preached this message from this text and was talking about this in my mind, thinking about the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And As soon as I turned to step, they started the... They started the announcements, and I heard a voice. And at first I thought maybe it was the voice of the archangel, but it was Logan giving the announcements. I was, I was torn between being sad and relieved all at the same time. But the voice of the archangel and the trump of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord." That's the faith that we have that Jesus is coming back. Following that rapture, there will be seven years of the worst possible time you can imagine on this earth. The years of tribulation described in the book of Revelation. It will be be more horrible than you can imagine. At the end of that seven years, Christ will come back, and that is when every eye will see him. There are those who believe that all this happens at one time, but I have to say it's kind of hard. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5 says that he comes as a thief in the night. It's kind of hard after seven years of tribulation for it to come by surprise. After those seven years, and so at the end of the seven years, he will come back and he will establish his kingdom, a thousand-year reign, and in that final time, that final age in which he acts upon and acts with man, There will be 1,000 years that will begin with perfection. No unbelievers will enter into that kingdom. Jesus himself will rule with David as his regent ruler, and there will be perfect conditions. But after 1,000 years of this, those that are born during this time that are unbelievers, when they reach the end, Satan is once again loosed. The Bible says that he draws together those of the nations And man, once again, after a thousand years of perfect living on this earth with Jesus Christ, with a perfect ruler in a perfect environment, once again, man will listen to the devil and he will shake his fist in the face of God as he has done in every single time, every single age that God has dealt with man. God will come back, Christ will come back, and he will then sit upon the great white throne of judgment. The final judgment will take place, and then we will enter into, those of us who are believers, will enter into what's called the eternal, some refer to as the eternal state. We sometimes think of this as heaven, but the Bible says it's a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. 
And from that point on, we will live in perfect relationship with Christ. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Revelation speaks of God dwelling with men. He will tabernacle. He will dwell with God. And they shall be His people. He will be their God. That's the faith that we have that Jesus Christ is coming back. So when I look at this world and I see a lot of things that disturb me, I don't get too disturbed by the things that disturb me. People say, well, you're just living in a, you're just living in a daydream. Some people say, well, you, you believe your theology because you think you're going to miss out on everything and you're scared to go through it. Let me tell you, I'll go through whatever God wants me to go through. And if the tribulation starts and the rapture hadn't taken place, then I will move from being a pre-trib dispensationalist to a mid-trib dispensationalist. I'll believe it's going to happen soon. If he doesn't come in the middle, I'll become a mid-rav. I'll, I'll take whatever God sends. I'm willing to be open about that. But I'm glad I look forward to the day when we've sung about it this morning, and I've seen it in some of your faces, and you know loved ones that have gone on, that we will be reunited with them. We'll be brought together. That's the faith. That's the great hope that we have, that Jesus Christ promised, I will come again. That's the faith. And Luke enforces that. He says, these people were there, and the angels gave the word, this same Jesus, same Jesus, same way, same manner, will come again as you have seen him go. Are you looking forward to that day? Are you, are you watching for his return? Are your eyes on the eastern skies? Lift up your head, redemption draweth nigh. But this truth, this passage not only emphasizes and reinforces our faith, it reminds us of what our focus should be. Do you notice what is said to the disciples? Look first in verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Just like many people today, they're very interested in knowing what's going to happen. I hear people all the time, well, preacher, what do you think is going to happen? Some, some international event takes place. What, what does that mean? It means there's sin in this world. It means there's bad in this world. It means there's wickedness in this world. But I don't know that I can pinpoint something necessarily and say, oh, that's what this was talking about. That's happened for centuries where people have tried to take current events and impose them into Scripture. And there are certainly prophecies that will one day be fulfilled. But I don't know what all those things mean. But the, these people wanted to know. They, I've got to know that the disciples, what, are you going to restore this at, the, at this time? Notice when Jesus responds, he, he, takes, he sharpens their focus. He turns their focus. He does not criticize them necessarily for wanting to know about the Scriptures. In fact, in Luke 24, as they, was on the, they were on the road to Emmaus, He actually opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. God wants us to seek to understand His truth. God wants us to study His Word. But the danger is, is when we start trying to go past the extent of what God has revealed. There's only certain things God has revealed. And that's the mystery of Christ's return. A mystery is a previously unrevealed truth. And God has a plan. But God doesn't always give us the details. Can I get an amen from that in our personal lives? God doesn't always give us the details of His plan. 
Well, I started to say I wish he did, but I'm sort of glad that he doesn't. I have some things I'd rather not know about and find out when I get to heaven. But God has a plan for this world, but He doesn't tell us all the details. And many times, if I haven't already said this to you, I will at some point probably say to you, is if you ask me a question, and I've said it often, it's my, three of my favorite words when people say, well, preacher, what do you think is going to happen this? What's, gonna, what's this part of heaven going to be like? What's this going to be like? My favorite three words that you need to learn and you need to share them is, I don't know. Why don't you know? Aren't you the preacher? Aren't you supposed to know everything about the Bible? Well, you would think that was supposed to be the case. I don't know because God didn't say. And so I don't need to try to constantly push past the extent of what God has revealed. So I study the Word and I want to know the Word, but get your focus on what your focus is supposed to be on, Jesus said. Do you see that in verse 7? Look in verse 7. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know. There are some things you'll not suppose, you're not supposed to know. The times are the seasons which the Father has put where? In His own power. You remember what Jesus has already said about some of this stuff? Jesus said about the coming of His coming again, No man knows the day, the hour, or the minute. I actually heard a fellow say one time, well, Jesus said nobody was going to know, but he told me. That's not arrogant at all. When Jesus said nobody knows, even the Son of Man doesn't know, you know what that means? Nobody knows. So if somebody gets on the radio or TV or writes a book or you hear them say, God told me when Jesus is coming back, you can count it down. They are just either willfully ignorant or willfully ignorant. I don't know what else to say about them. I could say a few other things, but I'm trying to be nice this morning. Nobody knows. God has put it in his own power when he's going to come again. Notice something else as they're watching in verse 11. They're standing there watching Jesus be taken up into heaven, and the angels come and they said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you've seen him go. They're, just, they're watching, and they're standing there watching him go up, and they're probably thinking in, with sorrow in their hearts, and the angels are reminding them of where their focus ought to be. What is their focus? Well, what Jesus says in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. What is the outflow, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit filling and baptizing and empowering the church? For us to have a tingle up our spine, for us to feel some excitement, I'm not saying we don't experience that when we come into the presence of a holy God and we worship Him. And boy, some of these songs this morning have moved me, and I have felt the worship this morning. But that's not what he says is the evidence and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit, after that the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon me, upon you, you will be witnesses. What are they witnesses to? What are they testifying of? They are testifying of what they have seen. They are testifying of the birth and the life 
and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are witnesses to the gospel. And Jesus says, look, quit worrying about the things. Don't let the things that are beyond what I have revealed, what God has revealed, don't let those become a distraction from what your task is. Listen to me carefully. We are not to let good things get in the way of the thing that God has given us to do. The good things are just to supplement and to empower what we are called to do. What is the task that he has given? Well, you're to be witnesses. What are we to testify to? We are to testify to the saving power of Jesus Christ through his vicarious atonement, through his death, through his burial and his resurrection, and the power of the gospel. That's what we witness to. That's what we testify to. That is what our task is. It is is to carry on the task that what Jesus started. Do you see that in verse 1? The former treatise, Have I Made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Jesus started this work, and when he left, what is it about him leaving and the, the looking forward to his return? There's a work that we are to do while he's gone. We're to do what he started. Verse 8 says, You're to be witnesses. It's the Great Commission. It is the message of the gospel. It is going into all the world and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Baptizing them. And then teaching them to observe all things. It is discipling from the point of conversion all the way to the point of Christ-likeness. And everything in between, that work in between. Do you know that 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 is to be our focus The work of the disciples is the work that we are to do. That is the task that we are called to do, whether we are the children of the church or whether we are the student ministry or whether we are the adults or the 60s plus. At whatever age in life you are, this is the task that is given to believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to be powerful witnesses of Christ. The coming of Christ ought to excite us. The coming of Christ should thrill our hearts, but it is not just about excitement. It is about empowerment to do this work that He's called us to do. These disciples went out in the power of the Holy Spirit and they said, these are the ones who have turned the world upside down. Unfortunately, in our day, the church doesn't seem to have turned the world upside down. The church has been turned upside down by the world. That's our task. That's what He calls us to do. That's our mission And let me tell you that our mission is what what shapes what we do as a church. It should be, it is the binding focus that we have as a church. Everything that we do, our engagement with missions, our support with missions both foreign and local and those that are serving in the the Bible clubs in our schools and those that are serving on the far part of the planet sharing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our work. Judgment House. We're not doing this just so we can have an activity, an event. We're doing this and nearly 200 volunteers are working to help proclaim the gospel so that when people walk through these doors, it's not, oh, hey, they'll they'll see our auditorium and they'll be drawn by that. 
No, it's so they'll hear the gospel and so they'll be encountered with a choice and a decision and an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we do that. That's why we have the, the teaching them to observe all things. That's why we have Sunday school and grow classes. And that's why we have small groups and opportunities, Bible studies throughout the year. It's not just so we can get together and talk and have a good time together and feel better about ourselves and know a little bit more about the Word of God. It's so we can experience the transforming power of the Spirit at work through the Word that we hear, changing us into Christ-likeness and fulfilling this command that He gave to us. That's our, that's our mission. That's our task. That is, that's why we do what we do. It's shaped our vision for this year, for the things that we hope to accomplish and have been able to accomplish because of the faithful giving last year in the chest of Joash offering and the funds that came in. We've been able to participate and partner with the church in the Philippines to help build a building so that those believers there can establish a church and share the gospel and share the message to partner with the church in the Dominican Republic to be able to build their building and establish a new church in a village where there was no gospel preaching message, to take the gospel to places that have not heard. That's, that's what drives this. Our vision is driven by the mission. And this is what Jesus said. Look, quit worrying about all these other things. Don't focus on these things that you're not supposed to worry about. Focus on this, the Holy Spirit coming upon you and you being witnesses. And it's what shapes our vision for the year ahead as we look toward next year and begin to pray for what, God, what do you have for us to do? It's shaped by the gospel. It's shaped by fulfilling this mission. This is the task that God has given to us. This is why God put us here. This is why Jesus, when He left, didn't take the church with Him then. He left us here to carry on His work and to be witnesses of the gospel. And through the next years, we partner with local ministries that are engaged in sharing the gospel and touching lives and ministering and national ministries and around our state, partnering with other churches to be able to carry out the gospel and establish churches and do mission work with other people groups and then around the world to give and to serve alongside of and encourage and go to where they are and minister alongside them with trips and mission trips and engage them. What is it that drives that? Is it just so we'll be busy? Yes, it's so we'll be busy about the Father's business. That's what Jesus said. And the angels, why are you gazing up into heaven? It's wonderful to want to be with Jesus. Look, why are you standing here? Quit standing around. Start doing something. Go back and wait. <laughs> Hurry up and wait. Go back to Jerusalem. And the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be witnesses. Aren't you glad that as we share the gospel, it is not dependent on us. It is not reliant on us. It is the power of the gospel unto salvation and it is the power of the Holy Spirit that does the work. And we have that God has equipped us already. We talk about being equipped for the work of the gospel. Look, we're, we've already got what we need. We want to we do it well. We want to share the gospel precisely and with integrity. But let me tell you that we already have. Every single believer in this building this morning knows enough about the gospel to be able to share what another person needs to come to Christ. And every single one of us has the Holy Spirit inside of us to empower us and enable us. Not to, 
not to do something weird and crazy, but to be witnesses of the gospel. And I'm glad along the way that we can feel it and we can enjoy it, but it doesn't matter whether I feel it and enjoy it or not. I doubt very seriously that the martyrs through the ages have enjoyed as their heads have been cut off. I doubt very seriously they've enjoyed the pain of being beaten and stoned, but they did it for the glory of God and they did it for the message of the gospel. That is our mission. That is, that is our focus. And this truth is given here. Jesus is coming back because that's the task that he has left with us. And when he comes back, I want to be found faithful. I want to be found at my post. I want to be found doing what he has called me to do. Back in the 1960s, uh, then candidate, but later president, John F. Kennedy would often use the story in his closing of his campaign speeches of Colonel William Davenport, who was one of the, um, he was the speaker of the house for the Connecticut House of Delegates back in the late 1700s. And one day as he was moderating the legislature, a great storm came up, dark clouds, lightning, thunder, and the people were scared. I believe it would probably be a good thing. I just want to say this. It's probably a good thing if our politicians in our days had a little fear of the Lord and got a little fear of God put in them. That's just my opinion, but I think all of us could stand a little fear of God. Boy, there's a sermon I could preach there. God, hold on a minute. I'm going to say a word about it. You remember when Abraham came into the land and he lied about his wife? And Pharaoh says, why have you lied about it? He said, I saw that there was no fear of God in the land, and I feared for my life. If there's no fear of God, you'll fear man. They feared, and the storm came up. I don't know why that was for, but that was for somebody that needed to hear that. The storm came up, and they were fearful, and they said, we need to adjourn so we can go home. Colonel Davenport said, either the day of judgment has come or it has not. He said, if it has not come, then we have nothing to worry about. But if it has come, then I want to be found on my post doing my duty. I want to tell you that when Jesus Christ comes back, I want to be found faithful to the task that he has given to us because our focus is on him. But when he comes back, let me tell you a second part of our focus. It's not just about responsibility. It's about relationship. Because if it was just about responsibility, I would have a sense of guilt. Well, what if he comes back and I'm not doing enough? What if I'm not being, what if, I, what if he catches me doing this? What if he comes back at this moment and maybe I was taking a nap? Or what, all these things of guilt. When Jesus comes back, the glory of that is going to be that it's our Savior that's back. So shall we ever be with the Lord. What is the blessed promise of that? We're going to be with him. We're going to get to spend eternity, not just in a great place, but with the glorious person of Christ. Revelation 20, God is going to tabernacle. He is going to dwell. He is going to live permanently with us. In the Old Testament, they had the temple and the tabernacle, and they had the presence of God there, so God was with some of the people some of the time. When Jesus came to this earth... He was with a few of the people all of the time. He was with some of the people some of the time. And now the Holy Spirit is here and He's in every believer, so God's presence 
is spiritually with every one of us. But this will be a day when it won't just be the presence of His Spirit, His Spirit glorious though that is. It will be that we are permanently and forever in the delightful presence of the one that we were created to be in the presence of. We will be where and with whom we were created and designed to be. And you and I have never, ever, no matter how much we loved a person and enjoyed being with them, the delight of being with those that we love. You amplify that by infinity and you have some idea of what it's going to be like to be eternally in the presence of God. And that's what we have to look forward to. So when He comes, yeah, boy, I want to be about my responsibility. But I am more... I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. I'm looking forward to seeing the One who died for me. I'm looking forward to seeing the One who is the one who will bring me into the presence of God. And he will say, Father, this one's mine. So shall we ever be with the Lord. The visible return of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready for it? Are you about your father's business? Maybe there's someone here this morning and the idea of Jesus coming back and the judgment that will come and the end of times, maybe you find that disturbing because you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. I want you to know that the only reason we can look forward to this with hope is because there was a day when we trusted Christ as our Savior, when we acknowledged that we were sinners, that we didn't have a right to go to be in the presence of God. And we acknowledged that we were sinners we're not perfect. None of us here are perfect. If any of you think you're perfect, you just fall, failed because you just sinned by thinking you were perfect. None of us are perfect. But we have acknowledged to God that we are sinners. And we have trusted in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to pay for our sins and to free us from sin. Because of that, we have something to look forward to. And I would be remiss this morning if I didn't offer you in this invitation an opportunity to publicly profess your faith in Christ, to say, I'm trusting Christ for my salvation. I'm trusting Christ to deliver me from my sins and to be my Savior. You can do that right where you are. You can come down and during the invitation, speak to one of our pastors. I love the idea of, of publicly expressing our faith to let other people know I'm trusting Jesus. I want to place my faith and trust in Him and then have that blessed hope to look forward to that the one who saves us is the one who will return for us. He's the one that's coming back. Christians, are you ready? Are you excited, looking forward to being in the presence of your Savior? Are you looking forward to hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Jesus is coming back. Are we ready? Will you bow with me for prayer this morning? I don't know where you are in your walk with God, your relationship with God. Maybe there's a sin that needs to be confessed before you're ready for him to come back. Maybe there's a job that needs to be done. Whatever God may speak to your heart about this morning, I'll offer you the opportunity to come to this altar. There's nothing magical about this carpet or this wood that's underneath it, but there's something extremely and exceptionally spiritual about kneeling in the presence of God and responding to what he says to us through his word. So I invite you to come this morning 
as the music will play for invitation. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I invite you to come and let us talk with you about that, or we'll talk with you about it after the service, or you can trust Christ right where you are right now. Christian, what do you need to do to be ready for Christ's return? Father, speak to our hearts in this time of invitation.